Well, good morning. I hope this morning finds you well. Uh, it's been a tough week, right? And uh, I, I've needed this. I needed to be back together with you, and so it's a joy again to be with you. This week, for me, um, has offered uh, opportunities for advice. Uh, I've received quite a bit this week. <laughs> Some solicited, most unsolicited, but it's been good. I'm going to share with you two of those pieces of advice. One of them I can guarantee. The other, I'm not sure about. I'll let you decide which one you think it is. The first one hit me hard. And I received it from probably no less than five different people. Preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. Second one, quit talking so fast. Right? I can't understand you. I received that one from just as many, if not more. So I'm going to try. I can't guarantee the speaking one, but I can preach Jesus. Right? All right. Well, reflecting on different transitions that have taken place in my life over the last uh, 20, 30 years, I remembered a note that my mom gave me when I left home for the first time to move out and go to college. And it was a note that I found that she had stuck in uh, some of the stuff I had packed. And, and I was actually on my drive, uh, and, I, and I stopped and I read it when I found it. And uh, I've included some of those this morning. Uh, to, I'm going to share them with you. And I've also included a few words of advice uh, that I've heard given to uh, kids or, or young adults as they move out uh, from the house for the first time, uh, or, or ones that I've even given to students that I've worked with in ministry over the years. I'm not going to tell you which ones were my mom's. You'll probably be able to figure these out. But here are some pieces of advice that a parent, specifically a Christian parent, might give uh, their children as they leave home for that first time. Uh, number one, call your mother. <laughs> okay, that one my mom said. Number two, oh man, I'm going to get in trouble for this one. My mom said it. Okay, I just got to throw it out there. Wear clean underwear. <laughs> Number three, say your prayers. Number four, do your homework. Number five, go to class. Number six, don't stay up too late. Number seven, make new friends. Number eight, don't get into credit card debt. Number nine, be good. Treat others with respect. And number 10, represent your family well. Don't embarrass us. My dad might have said that one. <laughs> when we go through times of transition, we often get advice, right? Uh, when we start a new job, there will be someone who comes along and put, wraps their arms around us and says, you know, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. Uh, advice is something we all give, and, and uh, often it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. It's usually always well-intended, and some, excuse me, sometimes it's worth following, and sometimes it's not. The quality of advice often depends on where it comes from, uh, whether it be a parent, a teacher, a friend, a coworker, or a stranger, right? Uh, today, I'm going to read to you a passage uh, that includes advice or instructions that Christ gave his disciples uh, as they were preparing to graduate from being a disciple to actually being an apostle. Uh, from being followers to now being leaders. And that passage comes from uh, the book of John. 
chapter 13. So if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, we're going to read that this morning. Not the whole chapter. 1 through 17. First, I want to set the stage just a little bit. You can leave that up there. Uh, John chapter 12 takes place actually six days. The beginning of John chapter 12 takes place six days before John 13. And you might remember some of the stories of John chapter 12 because it's, it's the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. And we know it was six days before chapter 13 because it actually tells us in, in John chapter 12, uh, verse 1, if you look at that, it says uh, six days before the Passover. It actually tells us six days uh, beforehand. We have Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He starts the day in Bethany, and he ends his week in Jerusalem. And so we have him coming into the town to great fanfare. The hosannas were raining down, and the people were laying their palm branches in their cloaks as Jesus entered the city. And he spent a week talking to the people, to the crowds of people, about uh, just various things. It's a, it's a great chapter, uh, but uh, he predicts his death and some different things like that. But he's teaching the crowds at large kind of for the last time. And then we come to John chapter 13, and things become a little more intimate. Okay? We, we find the, the, what, the beginning of what they call the upper room discourse, where Jesus takes his disciples and they go up into the upper room and they, ex- they experience the Passover meal together for the last time. And we have Jesus here for the last time with his disciples, giving them advice telling them his expectations for them as he prepares them for something drastic that they're not quite sure what is taking place. So let's read. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took out his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter. Ah, this is always interesting when we have Simon Peter enter the picture, right? He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet, his whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It's a great passage. 
It's filled with some just a, a great illustration, and not just an illustration, right? Christ acts it out before them of what it means to be a servant leader. Some interesting things I want to point out here before we jump into it too much. But in verse 1, uh, again, it was, it's this idea of Jesus drawing those who are closest to him together and giving them his advice. And his disciples, I'm sure, are always willing to listen. They're always willing to, to be taught by him. And they try to understand. And, and that's, what, that's what the picture that we see here. So his disciples are gathered there before him. And they're ready, to, they're ready for him to, to teach. And this is his last, what we call it in, in uh, education, teachable moment. His last teachable moment before the crucifixion. In verses 3 through 6, we find the story of the actual uh, uh, teaching illustration that Jesus acts out before them of the foot washing. And this is kind of odd for us sometimes. Uh, we don't have this tradition in our society. Uh, but then, in his day and age, uh, uh, walking was the primary mode of transportation. And they didn't have nice paved highways, right? They had dirt roads. And they wore sandals. Uh, so it was common for guests, as they came over to your house for dinner, to have them sit down. And your servants would come and they would kneel down and they would take the sandals off and they would wash the feet of the guests so that they felt comfortable and clean as they came into the house. Because even if they had bathed, their feet would still be dirty from their journey there. So often it was a, it was a servant who did this. You know, the disciples in this moment, I'm sure, if Jesus had said to them, I have dirty feet, would someone be willing to wash my feet? Which of the disciples at that moment wouldn't have jumped up and said, I'll wash your feet, Jesus, I'll take care of it. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened, which is often the case. The unexpected takes place when Jesus is teaching his disciples. You know, washing uh, someone's feet is almost a humiliating event, which is why the servants often did it. And the disciples never would have washed each other's feet because that would have shown that they were inferior to the person that they were washing the feet of. Again, they wouldn't have had a problem washing Jesus' feet because they obviously felt inferior to him. But washing each other's feet or someone else's feet would be humbling. In Luke, it tells us that just a short time before this very incident, in Luke chapter 22, the disciples are having an argument. This is what it says in verses 24 through 27. A dispute arose among them. Asked of which of them was considered to be the greatest. Isn't that interesting? Here, just a, just a short time later, Jesus is setting an example of humility. And yet, what did they just argue about? Which of them was the greatest? Jesus said to them, The king of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among the one of you that serves. So Jesus is taking this idea of who serves whom and flipping it completely upside down. So you understand now Peter's reaction when he says, whoa, 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 let's stop the boat, right? No way are you going to wash my feet. That's not the way it's done. Peter always responds with great 
dedication and commitment, right? He's willing to jump out of the boat. He's willing to stand up for Jesus and go to his death for him, right? He's willing also to draw a line in the sand and say, no, you will not serve me. He's always enthusiastic. But enthusiasm and commitment do not always equal understanding, right? This was also a lesson in receiving. The humility begins with not only providing service, true humility, but it also begins with learning how to receive service. The disciples' pride potentially stood in the way of receiving a remarkable blessing in this teachable moment with Jesus. Does your pride ever get in the way of you learning a lesson? Mine does. Absolutely does. Being teachable is an act of humility. Okay, I'm going to drop another football reference. Are you ready? I coach freshmen. Freshmen are an interesting group. Uh, They think they know everything. Okay, there's nothing more dangerous to a football team than a freshman football player. Or I stole that from my Bible college days, right? The most dangerous thing to a church is a Bible college freshman. Well, it's the same way in football. They think they know everything. So as I coach them and I say, hey, don't do that, do this. You know what the most often uh, response I get is? I know. I know. Well, if you knew, why'd you do it? You know? So we have to train them to say, yes, coach. Not I know. Because they think they know it all, right? There's no humility there. When there's no humility there, there's no learning that's going to take place. So I have to train them first to be teachable before we can improve their ability. And that's what we find right here. Our pride can get in the way of our teachability. Jesus lives this example of Mark chapter 10, uh, 10, uh, verses 45. The one I happen to not mark in my Bible, but turn to immediately. Providential, right? (laughs) Mark chapter 10. Oh, that's Mark chapter 4. That's what you get when you get arrogant. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says this. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus sets this example. In verses 7 through 9, it shows us that a lack of understanding can lead to a prideful spirit. Peter tried to prevent what he couldn't understand. And Jesus' response was, then you will have no part of me. Thankfully, Peter didn't want that, right? And he did a 180 degree reversal. Don't just wash my feet, but pour yourself all over me. Cleanse all of me. I love that picture. It's a great illustration for the life of a believer. Jesus says that we need to be washed. That those of us who have been washed, we need our feet cleaned, right? But we've been cleaned. And as as a believer, we have been washed. We've been justified through our baptism into Jesus Christ. But then we are kept clean through our sanctification or our feet that Jesus washes on a regular basis. The act of Repentance is humility. There's also one more little tidbit here in this passage I'd like to point out. And that is uh, at the end of, uh, uh, of this portion that we've read this morning, John 13. It says, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. There's an interesting little thing in there. I don't know if you caught it. 
Uh, it's some one of those things that grabs my attention. It, it says uh, uh, that first, it says, now that I, I'm sorry, now you call me teacher and Lord. Okay, but what does he call it the second time through? Not teacher and Lord, but Lord and teacher. See the switch that took place right there? They had come to him to follow the rabbi, the teacher. And through that, he became their Lord. Now there's a transition that's taking place. And he's not just the teacher that became Lord, but he is their Lord and their teacher. You know, I've had lots of teachers. I've only had one Lord. I've had lots of influences in my life, but only one Savior. He has to be our Savior, our Lord first, and then our teacher. Well, I have a joke to share with you this morning. I might have shared this before. I don't know. I, I borrowed it from my own little repertoire of jokes. So if I've shared it with you this before, just laugh and make me feel good. There was once a pastor, and he received, after a particular good Sunday message, a note from a member of the congregation. It was very complimentary about his preaching and compared him with Billy Graham. The lady uh, that had given it to him finished the note by writing, I think you are one of the really great preachers of our time. Later in the day, he showed the note, the pastor showed his note, this note to his wife, and his wife asked, uh, Who is that woman? And he replied, She's very intelligent. She's a great woman in the congregation who really loves great preaching. He then asked his wife, uh, How many really great preachers do you think there are these days in the world? Um, and she replied, Well, one less than you think. <laughs> this didn't happen to me. Though the response is exactly like what my wives will be. <laughs> Humility is so important. And that's what we're really, this passage is really about. Humility. And there are a lot of directions that we could take with the application of that this morning into our lives. But I'm reminded of the advice that I was given this week by multiple people. Preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. So let's look at two other passages before we even think about our application. Let's look at two more passages. The first one is found in Philippians chapter 2. And if you're going to speak on humility, you can't speak without reading Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 5, actually verses 3 through 8, I believe. Let's see what they have up here. Yeah, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. Made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, Jesus was and is and will always be worthy of all praise and all devotion from all of creation. He is creator. There is no king that was ever more powerful. There has never been a human more wise than him. And there has never been a part of his creation that is more important than him. Yet in verses 6 and 7, it tells us that he became a servant to the things he created. This morning, I wrote this sermon this week, but this morning as I was arriving to the office, someone this week had brought us a plate of delicious little muffins. 
right? And, and I saw those this morning, and I thought, well, those were good, right? There was one left. It was several days old. I'm sure it was still good. I didn't try it. Um, but I kept thinking, you know, I've made, I've made muffins before. I've made cookies before. They're my creation. Now, I know it's a stretch, but bear with me. I've never considered those cookies something that I am going to humble myself before. Does that make sense? Yet Jesus did almost exactly that when he humbled himself and became the servants of the very thing, the very people in which he created. It says after he became humble, after he emptied himself, he became obedient. You know, there are a lot of people out there who make sacrifices. There are lots of people in this world that have sacrificed their very lives for others, right? I mean, we're, we, get, we have our freedoms today because of the sacrifice of men and women who've died for our freedom, and we honor that. In fact, I, I read a story just recently on the news, I think it was last week, about a, a bus driver who saw uh, she had parked her bus and, and a ch- child was behind it and the bus began to roll back and she pushed the child out of the way and the bus rolled over her and killed her. Tragic event, but what a hero. And it's true. She sacrificed herself for someone else. That's, that's newsworthy. Sacrificing oneself is remarkable. But Jesus didn't sacrifice just himself. He sacrificed his self. See the difference there? Sacrificing ourselves is good for others. That's remarkable. But sacrificing ourself, what's the me inside of me, and saying the me inside of me is nothing, it's almost easier to sacrifice ourselves, right? It's easier to take the bullet for someone. It's easier to push a little kid out of the way than it is to say, man, my, what I want has no part of this life. Jesus sacrificed himself, but he also sacrificed his self. And then, and then he became obedient to death. Just like I said earlier, that teachability is an act of humility. Obedience is an act of humility too. Because it means placing ourselves in subjection, subjection and submission to someone else. Here's another passage this morning. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We find here uh, Jesus being taken out, led out into the desert by the devil himself and, and uh, tempting him. So we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 10. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, to Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When tempted by Satan to take care of himself, to look out for number one, to fulfill your need of hunger, Jesus chose to trust God. 
And he chose to use God's own word to wait for his deliverance. When he was tempted to provide, to prove, excuse me, to prove his position of authority and his relationship with God, he submitted to God's will and refused to throw himself off the temple to prove it. When told that Satan would give him great power and great influence, where he would receive the glory and honor that was due him, but before his time, he refused. He refused to do anything that wasn't part of God's will and part of God's plan. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, it tells us to follow God's example. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself, or gave his self, up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Where does Jesus' example lead us? Where does, example, where does his example lead us today? You know, it leads us to the same exact place that he was preparing his disciples for. It leads them and it leads us directly to the cross. Which is what this passage in John is really all about. It's, it's, it's written to, it was, it was uh, told, it was recorded to show us that Jesus was preparing his disciples for the act that took place on that cross. Not just his death upon the cross, but the necessity of all believers, including the disciples, to find themselves standing humbly before the cross, admitting that their sins are what nailed him there. The best advice that I received this week was that preached Jesus. And Jesus' life on this cross, or I'm sorry, life on this earth, is inextricably tied to the cross. So I've got four more passages for you this morning. I'm just going to read them off fairly quickly. So jot these down in your notes. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away and what? Nailed it to the cross. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, what? We are healed. The cross. It's all about the cross. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself. I belong to you. Lead me to the cross. Just like Jesus, we must first empty ourselves of ourselves. We must first become humble. And then 
after we do those things, after we have that humility that so covers us, then we can stand before the cross in obedience and bring others to the cross as well. And that is our job. That is our commission, is to stand humbly before the cross and lead as many other people as we possibly can to that same exact place. So I have two challenges for you this week. I have two challenges. I'm going to take it home. First one is this. I want you to think of someone in your life that needs their feet washed and humbly serve them this week. There's no greater way to show someone Jesus' love than through our acts of service. I'm sure there's someone in your life that needs those feet washed. And maybe that foot washing is asking for forgiveness. Maybe it's just being there to listen. I don't know. But you know. Number second one. Number two. Identify an area of your life that you have still not placed in submission to Christ. We all have that little pocket inside of us that we hold on to, that sin that we just want to cling to because it brings us comfort, especially in difficult times. It's there. We all have it. And we need to root it out. So this week, be honest. Be humble. Admit what that is. And do everything in your power to pray it out. Let's pray. Father, uh, we talk about humility a lot. We try to be humble and we fail. So my prayer this, this week, in this moment, is that we will empty ourselves and through the power of your spirit within us, take every stronghold of ourself that we have uh, guarded and release it to you. And I pray, Father, that this week as we come into contact with our family and our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, that you will just clearly show us that person who needs their feet washed. And God, may we, in humility, accomplish just that in their lives. We love you. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen.